0: Gospels. Great little book by Trevin Wax, who is a great writer, and uh, he just goes through a lot of the Gospels that are competing for our attention today. The uh, works righteousness Gospel, the the, uh, prosperity Gospel, uh, the judgmental Gospel, the therapeutic Gospel, the Gospel that just makes us feel good about ourselves. Uh, Different things like that, and then he gives a good exposition of what is the Gospel itself. So, uh, I'll leave it out on the uh, uh, the table. Good book for read uh, on the beach or at the cottage or on vacation or wherever you are. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that out, out on the desk. Proverbs chapter 8 tonight. And uh, as we make our way through Proverbs. Um, this is a very famous chapter because... Um, uh, as it describes wisdom, it personifies it, it makes it into a person as a, as a kind of a technique or a tool to communicate the uh antiquity of wisdom that it goes back before the beginning of the world, and it takes on a voice and so it it begins to describe itself in all that it does all its works, where it comes from and a call to listen to its voice. Now many people have taken wisdom in this chapter as to be a, 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 a prophecy of Christ. That this is Christ actually speaking in the, in the, uh, these words. And we're going to see later on that though uh, the New Testament uses language that is very reminiscent of Proverbs 8, and that Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom, yet we... Uh, It doesn't go beyond, I think, just a simple metaphor. uh, That it it finds its great fulfillment in Christ, but it's still a uh, a poetic tool that is being used. But wisdom is personified as a lovely lady. And we see the contrast of that in terms of what we've been seeing in chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, about the adulteress who who appeals to not to wisdom but to appetite, and that's often the 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 the, the uh, big difference that we see going on today, that that the the devil often appeals to feeling or appetite or how we uh, want the world to be rather than how the world is, but. Lady Wisdom comes along and explains to us the origins of the world. Now we've been we were singing about that in the in Psalm 104 and Psalm 33 that God laid the foundations of the earth. He drew he lays down uh, he creates the world. He creates the seasons. He creates you and I in his image. He sets boundaries for not only for the water to overflow the land, but He also sets boundaries for male and female. He sets authority structures with government and things like that. And what this psalm is really getting at is wisdom calling us to recognize the world as God made it, not as we feel it should be. And what a message uh, uh, for today. We need to hear those words today more than at any time. Because never was there a time when the structures that God has laid down are under attack. Um, and so this is a wonderful chapter for that. And it really is a, a, a personification, a coming alive of the wisdom with which God made the world and made you and I. So that wisdom that He used to make you and I, we look at our bodies and say, wow, God is wise. Um, the fact that water freezes from the top down, that's wise. Uh, the way animals are able to migrate, that's, that's the wisdom of God implanted there. Um, and uh, we're we're able to look at that and wisdom then comes alive as this person and and takes on a human form and explains why she's done what she's done. So we want to see first the attractiveness of wisdom. The attractiveness of wisdom. She's calling people to herself. Does not wisdom call out? Uh, Does understanding raise her voice? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand, beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries out aloud. To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Here, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. Before my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And so on. But here, the. The, this lady wisdom is calling to the sons of men. The sons of Adam. Those who are part of the original creation. And that is all of us. We, were, we are created by God. And even though thousands and thousands of years have passed since the creation of the world and creation of man, uh, nevertheless, wisdom that creation wisdom doesn't change. Even though, as I said, our society is trying to reinterpret by moving away from a biblical understanding of not only the origins of the world, but who we are as people. That that male and female, for example, are not determined by your body, but by your mind which is extraordinary because the mind is very changeable. The mind goes through moods. And, and yet, people will, they will uh, uh, destroy their bodies. They will cut off parts of their bodies. They'll rearrange their bodies to conform to what is going on in their minds. And so what we find is an attack on the way in which creation has been ordered by God. Whether it's redefining marriage, whether it's redefining life, where does life begin? Uh, 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 Brian and I and Corinne were talking this morning about the, the, the um, uh, laws afoot in California, and, or so one of these states in, in, the, in the west coast um, of the United States where they are, lawmakers are now discussing the idea of taking a child's life after they come out of the womb. That a parent can still decide, even after the child has been born, whether they can take the child's life. If it's, if it's not convenient for the parent. This is being actively discussed. And we think, where will it all end? Where will it stop? And uh, so that is why wisdom is calling out passionately in every place, on the hikes along the way. In other words, perhaps important points on the road of life. Or where the paths meet, when a decision has to be reached in our lives, when we have to consider what are our options, where do we go from here? Wisdom is there. Or beside the gates leading into the city in verse 3, when a judgment needs to be made. Again, there is wisdom. She says, "I am all over the place, and I'm trying to get your attention." And he is what what wisdom is doing, what she is doing rather, is calling us back to the way in which God made all things. How important Genesis is for us in this day and age, and our Christians ready to stand upon the Word of God. It 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 comes down to what we talked about. Um, a few months ago, where into the workplace now you have uh, uh, this pressure that's being put upon people to say something that's not true. This person is identifying as a male, uh, but it's really a biological female. You must call her him, and by doing so, you're you're violating not only your own conscience, but you're going up against the truth of God's created order. It's not just a matter of personal preference. It, it comes down to the truth of God that's at stake. And th- this is wisdom, you see. Anything else is negotiating with, uh, uh, with that. I was on a call the other day, a Zoom call, and it was a, uh, uh, it was a meeting of different people, but uh, all these pastors uh, and clergy people had. Uh, you know he she uh, their personal pronouns as if we couldn 't tell by looking at them, and it, it, our world is going crazy, <laughs> and the problem is you see that the church is getting swept into that because we don 't want to suffer our whole our whole uh, uh, starting point in life is. I don't want to suffer. I don't want that cross. Therefore, I will do whatever I can to avoid that. And it's coming into our workplace. And some of you have shared that with me. And, uh, but it's coming into the church even more dangerously. And that is why the wisdom here calls so passionately. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way. To you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Learn common sense. This is what it's saying. And so this wisdom then is shaping the entire life of the community, whether it be... Uh, on the heights along the way or the paths where 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 we meet or beside the gates leading into the city. It takes in uh, commerce. It takes in education. It takes in relationships. It takes in government. It takes in all of these different aspects. And he goes on to talk about princes and kings there. By me, princes and kings rule. So he's talking about the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. That's where... Wisdom is applied. There's no. In other words, wisdom is saying I have to do with every element of life, and so uh, the, the 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 that is really what uh, Lady Wisdom's teaching is in the rest of the book about how we speak about how we use our money about our relationships it goes on to talk about well hard work is better than laziness and we saw that with the ant didn't we go to the ant and consider how without any master or governor she lays up food for herself right for winter and this is a little insect that we can squash like that, and yet there's such wisdom in that little ant that instinctively it stores up food for itself for winter. And what are we doing? What are we doing? That, that's the implication. Go to the ant, you sluggard, he says. So hard work is better than laziness. That, that's a, a principle of wisdom. Laziness leads to inability to hold down a job and to provide for the future. Or adultery, as we've been seeing in the last few chapters, will cause you to lose much of what you have. Money can be a good thing, but if you make it the ultimate thing, as Proverbs goes on to say, it will become an idol in your life. And so this is what wisdom is doing. This is what wisdom is going to, Lady Wisdom is going to open up in the rest of the book. And so Jesus reflects this wisdom in His own uh, teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, so much of the Sermon on the Mount is simply an exposition of what the Old Testament says about the wisdom of living. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And so these principles that uh, 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 Proverbs 8 is laying down here, the foundational principles of living are reflected in Jesus who is the highest expression of wisdom in, in the world. In Him the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found, says Says Paul. And so we see the call of wisdom. Then we see the reward of wisdom in verses 12 to 21. And as you can see, we're not going to look at this whole chapter in any great depth, but I'm just going to look at it in broad terms. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver." I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love Me and filling their treasury. So in the first part we saw the call, the indiscriminate call of wisdom to all people everywhere in various walks of life, at various stages of life, at various points of their lives, their careers, whatever it may be, to come back to creation wisdom. Come back to how things God intended them to be, and now wisdom is showing the reward of that. She will keep you off the wicked path if you embrace her. She will uh, uh, produce counsel and wisdom and insight, and she'll give us strength. She uh, uh, she rewards those who uh, diligently seek her. Now we remember what wisdom is. It's taking the knowledge of God and putting it into practice in your life. That's wisdom. God gives us wisdom in that way. When we choose to say, Lord, your ways are better than my heart. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's, what, that's where we start. That's what's in us. The heart is not a faithful uh, guide for us in our lives. Although, you will hear that uh, spoken of at a lot of high school and university graduations over these next uh, few weeks. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. You know, and we fail to realize that the heart is deceitful. That even the Christian heart can deceive us at times. And we need to be ruled by the wisdom of God. As revealed in Jesus Christ. And the rewards, of course, are great. He's calling us in many ways here to look to the riches. And he talks here a great deal about riches and wealth, gold and silver and so on. That's reflected in Jesus' words that a man's life does not consist in what he owns. Now, you may think that that's a given, that that's easy to understand, but how many people will sacrifice their whole families to go off somewhere and maybe hardly see their families from one end of the year to the next because they have decided that my family is going to live at a higher standard or an equal standard than all the other families in the community. And God forbid that we can't afford to give our children the best skates that Jimmy down the road has. So I will leave my family and I will go out to Alberta and work for $100 an hour, send that money back, my kids won't see me from one end of the year to the next, but that's what we have decided. That's the idea here. people have decided already what life is all about. That money and possessions uh, define our success. And that's what the Bible calls the fool, right? Didn't Jesus tell a parable of that very nature when He talked about a man whose crops grew and, and grew and He, and, uh, he said, What will I do? I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And I'll say to my soul, eat and drink and celebrate. That's all he could think. He couldn't see beyond his own earthly success. God comes to him that night and says what? You fool! He's the fool that wisdom is trying to get a hold of here. Trying to get their attention. To say, look... This night your soul is required of you. Where will these things get you? We must be very, very careful as to what we choose to put in front of church. What we choose to put in front of the instruction of God's Word and the gathering together of God's people. We must be very careful that jobs and careers and all these things don't start coming before the the wisdom of drawing near to God, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what wisdom is trying to get a, a hold uh, uh, to give us here. That there is a wisdom that will stand us in good stead for eternity, but the wisdom of this world will perish when the, when you die. The wisdom to make more money. wisdom to get ahead in all these things. But Jesus says, come unto Me. I am the embodiment of wisdom. I will show you how to not only to live this life, I will show you how to live forever. Rather than dying the death of a million choices and find yourself at the end of your life with nothing. And so Jesus says... In Isaiah 55, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently unto Me, and eat that which is good. In Revelation He says, I counsel you to buy from Me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, rich in the things of God, and white raiment that you may be clothed. Listen to what Jesus says again in the uh, Sermon on the Mount in uh, chapter 6 and in chapter 7. In chapter 6 and verse 19, He says this, "...do not lay up treasure for yourselves on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven." In other words, by the application of divine wisdom, where He who is Last will be first, and He who is first will be last. The application of divine wisdom. But lay up treasure for yourselves in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And then in chapter 7, He says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which of you, who has, if, he, uh, if his son asks for bread, will he give a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good, good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now Jesus again is just simply opening up and expounding not only the law, but the book of Proverbs here as well. These are things that will stand us in good stead forever and ever. She says in, it says in verse 17, I love those who love Me, and those who seek Me diligently find Me. Do we not hear an echo of what we just read there in Matthew? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. This is what Lady Wisdom is saying here. I love those who love Me, and those who seek Me diligently will find Me. Riches and honor are with Me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and My yield than choice silver." We can think of the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit. As we give ourselves to God's way rather than our way. As we sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. She is like someone who produces this great orchard whose fruit we enjoy. The righteousness of God that we can live out in our lives, which benefits not only ourselves, but also those around us. And so, uh, uh, there is this focus on asking ourselves, what are we seeking? What wisdom are we following? Is it the wisdom of the world? Or are we following the wisdom that leads to the true riches of Christ? Being rich in the things of God. Even Abraham, though he was one of the richest men of his day, he had sheep and cattle and servants and all the rest of it. He never dwelt on that. He wanted to be rich toward God. That's why he said, it says that he looked for a city whose maker and builder was God. That's why it tells us that the meek, Jesus says, will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. I remember having a funeral for one Elizabeth MacAkern many years ago. And it struck me that Elizabeth was a very meek lady. No pretensions never successful in worldly ways, lived a humble life, a humble, humble lady. And when I preached at her funeral, this was the text that I used, that the meek shall inherit the earth. Because even the humblest, simplest, perhaps non-successful person in this life, when they put their trust in the wisdom of God, which is Jesus, and live according to that, in other words, show that they're following Jesus in the decisions that they make, they don't have to be clawing. I need that. I need this. I need to sacrifice to get this in life. You forget about it. Because you know that you will inherit the earth. You're going to get it all anyway. Why are we so desperate to conform ourselves to the principles of this world when God is going to give it all to us on a silver platter? As His people, as His children. That's why Jesus says it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And So these are the rewards of wisdom. The rewards of of understanding the world as it really is, as God has made it. And as God has revealed that wisdom through Jesus. And then finally, there is the antiquity the ancientness of wisdom. Where does it come from? Look at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. The first acts of His works of old. That's why some say, well, this can't be Jesus because it is speaking of an act to bring this forward. Uh, and, uh, and, and I really don't see any need or necessity to impose that this is a... Uh, this is the deity speaking here, but this is an emanation of the deity. This is, this is the wisdom of God that is speaking. It's simply a poetic uh, formula and, and approach to looking at it. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, and so on. This section presents wisdom, again, as the basis of of the whole design of the universe. Are you willing to say tonight that there is a set pattern in the world? That this earth and we are made in a certain way and that we will not negotiate with that? We will not change the terminology? As someone says, he who controls the language controls the culture. And that is true. Language is so important. That if you let society control the language and control the terminology, then you can punish people for using the wrong terminology as you see it. Are we ready then to accept that there is a design that God has made in the universe and that that design is good? That that design goes back, that wisdom goes back before the world even was. Before the mountains had been shaped before the hills I was brought forth, before He had made the earth with its fields, or the first dust of the world. When He established the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep. When He made firm the skies above and He established the fountains of the deep. When He assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress His command. Notice those words. Transgress His command. The earth was formed in a certain way. The water and the land. So that God said this far, no further. This is God shaping. This is God setting boundaries. This is God saying this gives meaning. This doesn't. That's why it says the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And then God began to pour His structure into it. The land and the sea separate. The birds of the air. And then He said on the sixth day, let us make man in our own image and give Him dominion. And so God made them male and female. He created them. So what He's saying is that creation goes back in antiquity. And because of that, we ought to listen to her voice. Jesus uh, claims include having this wisdom and a unique knowledge of God. In fact, he is described in that way in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Paul saw the fullness of wisdom in Christ. In that glorious chapter in Colossians, that we are Uh, hopefully very familiar with now. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. You see how many people have read back into this chapter? The person of Jesus Christ. I can see how they could do that. Because Paul uses that language. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What does Proverbs 8 say here? Then I was beside Him like a master workman, And I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. In other words, as Paul says there in Colossians, God the Father was working through God the Son and God the Spirit to bring all these things about. And we don't have the right to go back and tinker with it and say, I think God did this wrong. Or God drew these boundaries in a wrong way. Let's get the eraser out and erase that and we'll put the line over here. And I don't like the way this is shaped either. Let's rearrange all that. We're not just talking about real estate. We're talking about people. We're talking about even genetics. We're talking about manipulating. Playing God in the science lab. Doing all of these things where man begins to question the wisdom of God and say, this is not good enough. So, wisdom, in other words, knows the order of things. And it calls to us to say, don't be so foolish as to fall into the trap of allowing someone to tell you that your eyes are deceiving you that when you look at that person, it's not what their body says that it is, but it's something else. And you must, or go to jail, or pay a fine, or lose your job, or whatever, say that that person is something else. And wisdom calls to us. And we may think, well, after all these years of after Proverbs has been written 3,000 years later on, that we would have learned the lessons. But we're worse off. We're worse off today than we were then. No one would have dreamed of uh, 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 suggesting such notions as we are living with on a daily basis today. And so wisdom cries out. doesn't just speak to us conversationally. She cries out here, there, and everywhere, in every stage of life. Causing a calling us back to God, the wisdom of God's created order. But not only that, to re, rejoice in God's created order. Look at what he says. Then I was beside him like a master workman, verse thirty, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Remember when God created? What did he, What did he? What did he uh, uh, punctuate? each stage of creation with. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. He delighted in it. And when He created man, He said, it is very good. There's an element of joy here and celebration. One commentator, David Hubbard, said this. Listen to what he says. A startling view of creation is this. Not a struggle among the gods for mastery of the cosmos as with the Babylonians. This god struggling with that god. And Thor and, and Zeus fighting with one another and trying to establish mastery. I don't know if Thor and Zeus fought. <laughs> Please don't correct me afterwards. It's, I'm just trying to make a point that in these, religi- these world views you had different gods competing. But that's not here. It's not a struggle among the gods for mastery of the cosmos. It's not an ageless, gray, grim quest for survival by adaptation as atheistic evolution views it. But pure joy enhanced by wisdom herself. That's what God's inviting us into. Not just saying, this is the way I've done it and you better get in line with what I'm doing or you're toast. No, He's inviting us to appreciate The joy of His creation. The wonder of His wisdom. Don't we see that? When Paul uh, uh, describes the cross in Romans, what does he say? He puts his pen down at the end of Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments and His ways past finding out Oh, He's so full of joy. Even though He at one stage could say, I weep over my brother and the Jews. Oh, I wish they would just believe. It breaks my heart. But when it comes to the display of God's wisdom in the cross, I rejoice. I am amazed. And when I look at God's handiwork, as the psalmist said, I am fearfully and wonderfully vain. The psalmist is writing as well with his pen. He's looking at his hand and he's thinking about his eye and his ears and his, how he was formed in his mother's womb and how he was knit together by the hand of God. But these things are too wonderful for me. I can't even take them in. I can't even begin. I'm so happy. This is the joy that wisdom possessed at the right hand of God when creation was taking shape and what people are trying to do today in the name of freedom is nothing but a culture of death and sadness and brokenness and it's and it's we're in a world that's gone absolutely mad but This is not the way it is when we look at the wonderful works of God. Psalm 104, which we sang, O Lord, how manifold are Your works! In wisdom You have made them all. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. Psalm 92, You, O Lord, have made me glad by Your work. At the work of Your hands I sing for joy. See, we enter into the joy of God's created wisdom when we, when we investigate how many atheistic scientists... Well, they won't tell you about that in the news, but what's going on in the academy where they're looking at things like design in the cell, the information in the cell, the delicate balance of the created universe and all the things that have to fall into place before life can exist, they say it's just too astronomically impossible to have happened by accident. There has to be a designer of some sort. One of the greatest most famous atheists of the past 50 years, Dr. Anthony Flew, who under the Uh, 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 the, the evidence of intelligent design, he became a theist. He didn't become a Christian, but he did come to say, yes, there is a God who designed all of this. It has to be. But the Christian can rejoice in the work of God's hands, not only from the creation of the world, but the creation of our bodies and the salvation of our soul. In the most profound A point of our joy. That's where our joy really takes off. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God did it all through the wisdom of the cross. By God becoming a man. And in that flesh, He was crucified and paid the penalty for my sins. So that God can be just and... And be a God who punishes sin every single last one of them. And yet, He finds a way to let me go free. So I'm not punished for what I've done. But in His mercy, He sets me... You look back at that. And you say, oh, joy. Joy to the world. Let all creation sing. Heaven and earth. Rejoice. That's the joy He invites us into. And that's the joy we rob ourselves of when we decide for expedient's sake to fall in with the categories that the world sets for us. And so of course, lastly, is the, the necessity of this wisdom. He says there finally, and now, sons of men, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. There's no, That's why I say, this is a culture of death that we're living in. That's why you see in the news this whole fight over abortion in the United States and the Supreme Court and people showing up at the Supreme Court justices' houses and protesting and and who knows where it will go, but there's this culture of death that we're being drawn into and, and called to accept. And all who reject the wisdom of God, whether it be creation wisdom or salvation wisdom, are embracing death as he concludes, all who hate me love death. In Jesus, wisdom has come to us in the flesh. And to embrace Jesus is to embrace the wisdom of God. As Paul says there in Corinthians uh, that we started off with. Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Just like here. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, through wisdom it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. To save. And that's why the Lady Wisdom is saying here, all who love Me, love life. How is it with you then tonight? Have you embraced the wisdom that Jesus is? Not just that Jesus speaks, but the wisdom that Jesus is. In Him is salvation. In Him is eternal life. And that begins then, once you understand that, That's. Begins to take over in your family, in your workplace, as we've been seeing in, in, in Colossians, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, work bosses and workers and employees. It, it begins to take over, just as we saw at the very beginning in, in the, you know, the hillsides and in the city streets and in the paths along the way. So in order to be saved from this eternal death, we We are called to submit to Him and receive Jesus as the embodiment of the wisdom of God. And I pray that this is what you are doing tonight. Not keeping God at arm's length. Not waiting for the earth to shake under you. But to perceive that in Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom toward you and I. And no matter what our station in life, to receive Him is to receive to embrace God's true wisdom, His eternal wisdom and His saving wisdom. Let's pray.